A man stood upon a railroad bridge in northern Alabama, looking down into the swift water 20 feet below. The man's hands were behind his back, the wrists bound with a cord. A rope closely encircled his neck. It was attached to his stout cross timber above his head, and the slack fell to the level of his knees. Some loose boards laid upon the sleepers supporting the metals of the railway supplied a footing for him and his executioners. Two private soldiers of the Federal Army, directed by a sergeant who in civil life may have been a deputy sheriff. Lightning recap. In an occurrence, not incident, at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Pierce, a man faces down his last moments. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. We sure do. Thanks for listening. Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> this <laughs> is Short Story Short Podcast. I am postmodernist Christopher J. Garcia here today with Nietzschean Christy Baxter. I have no answer for that. What did we read this week? <laughs> <laughs> We read Ambrose Bierce's An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. We did not read Incident at Owl Creek Bridge because said story, as far as we know, does not exist. And neither of us can get the name of this story straight. So. It's a slut-shaming ghost all over again. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. This story is one of the key short stories in American literature. And... One of the reasons for that is the influence it had on structure and the metaphysical aspects that are sort of laid into it. And Ambrose Bierce is considered one of the most cynical writers in the history of American literature. And this is not exactly a hopeful story, but it doesn't really go as far down that road <laughs> as a lot of his stuff does but it's a remarkable look at a moment in time and what moments mean when taken out of temporality, I guess is the way to look at it. I feel like Ambrose Bierce, uh, when he comes back from his extended vacation, uh, will make a wonderful screenwriter or cinematographer or something like that because this is there is something very incredibly cinematic about this to the extent that you can almost imagine the camera's view going from you know uh what how do you say his name for Krahad but what is there's not enough vowels and there's too many U's at the same time <laughs> I can never remember exactly how to, I actually went th through and tried to figure it out Farquhar? Farquhar. Farquhar, sure. We'll go with Farquhar. All right. Farquhar, uh, the sort of protagonist, I guess. Um, yeah, you could see these, these points where the, the camera's viewpoint would shift from maybe his point of view to maybe looking down on him, to looking at him from you know a distance or from close up. 
it just has this feeling of the entire story is written from behind a lens, which is amazing, considering that Ambrose Bierce was not really in the, you know, moving, making time period so much. Yeah, I think, and actually you bring up an interesting point. I do not necessarily think Peyton Farquhar is the protagonist. I think he's the main character. Yes, yes. I, I would definitely go... I mean, he's the only one with a name, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, doesn't always mean something because you know uh, there there are stories where the protagonist might never get the name or main character, but but yeah, he definitely is the person whose eyes we are experiencing this from in sort of a third person close uh, narration, and yeah, I don't feel protagonist because it comes right out, you know, like comes right out and tells us as a slave owner you know he supported the confederacy and would do what he could and blah 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 and so it's very much like straight out we are looking at him in a negative light yeah and what's incredible is that the type of work that is being done here was being done about almost 30 years after the civil war 25 years uh we're starting to see publications like uh, Overland Magazine out on the West Coast, which are starting to develop a new sort of American literature. And you have your uh, Ambrose Bierce a little bit later, and actually contemporary, of course, you have uh, that guy whose name I have now completely, Bret Hart, um, and some dude named Twine? Twinning? Twang, Twang. Twang. It's, it's Marvin Twang. Marvin Twang, you're right. And uh, who are creating this new sort of Western voice because the Western story existed, but the voice for an author from the West, not necessarily writing about the West, yet had yet to be developed. And uh, it was. Go ahead, keep oh. going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> and. It was through Bierce and a lot of the writers who were writing for Overland and for the Examiner and for the LA Times who really developed that voice. Now, okay, so for my counter argument, I realized that at the time, the two words I'm about to say were closer together in uh, geography and in as well as in sort of uh, their cultural aspects. But I feel more like the South than the West, at least the, the works I can think of, of, of Marvin Twang. And I don't know much of Bret Hart's, but some of like, like Ambrose Bierce and even here, you know, it's, uh, it's Alabama. He's a res- an old and highly respected Alabama family. And so <laughs> I feel like that, that's the only quibble I would make is I feel like it's more a voice kind of of the South. I mean, I think of Marvin Twang and I think of like, super hot summer days and bugs and um river boats and stuff yeah mark twain was super hot um but uh (laughs) but let me let me give you an example of a portion of this that very much is different from what you would see in southern literature at the time Uh, it is he was a captain a sentinel at each end of the bridge stood with his rifle in the position known as support that is to say vertical in front of the left shoulder 
the hammer resting on the forearm thrown straight across the chest, a formal and unnatural positioning, and forcing an erect carriage of the body. It did not appear to be the duty of these two men to know what was occurring at the center of the bridge. This sort of less, it is detailing the action and using in particular phraseology that is very much chunked. Whereas traditional Southern writing, and in particular, once you get into Southern Gothic writing, um, which is still a couple decades away at this point, it's much more flowery. There's more layers to it. Whereas here, I think what you're getting is this is the important moment. And then this little thing is important. And then this little thing is important. And it all sort of crunches together. It's less, it is more direct, which I think is something that Western writers and particularly California writers uh, were doing. Bierce being one a little bit later, Jack London definitely had that voice. Steinbeck, Soroyan, uh, everyone to support William Soroyan's work. Um, you know, uh, all the important writers. <laughs> but it's really this sort of work and Bierce in particular was famous for giving you a whole bunch and then having one single three or four word sentence that set everything into place. So you might get, these are 25 actions and, oh yeah, he died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, I can I can agree with you that sort of the phraseology and sort of the, the way that he sets things up does have a little bit of a Western feel, but I, I do feel there is some, you know, like flowery language. Um, it looked... He dug his fingers into the sand, threw it over himself in handfuls and audibly blessed it. It looked like diamonds, rubies, emeralds. He could think of nothing beautiful, which it did not resemble. The trees upon the bank were giant garden plants. He noted a definite order in their arrangement, inhaled the fragrance of their blooms and so on and so forth. Um, it goes on for another couple of sentences. And yeah, I just, I can't see the word enchanting, which is how this paragraph ends. Uh, in, in any sort of Western. <laughs> Correct. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sitting here like, will he? Will he? <laughs> For now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes. Uh, but this story is 100% hinging on the ending. Oh, yes. And that aspect is what makes this story so much, it's required reading to really understand early 21st century film. You do not get the entirety of the horror films of the last 22 years, 23 years really, without Incident Owl Creek Bridge. Uh, there's also an excellent semi-pseudo hemi-demi uh, adaptation, a movie called Jacob's Ladder uh, that uses very much of the same theory, but a much darker uh, Tim Roth. No, not Tim Roth. The other guy, the tall guy um, who was married to Susan Sarandon, that guy. <laughs> Tim Robinson. Tim Roberts. Yes, Tim Robinson. No, Tim Robinson. Tim Robinson? Mark, Mark Twangley. 
<laughs> Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Okay, all right. I had one too many syllables. That's it. Just one. Just one. I was mostly correct. <laughs> I was technically correct, which is the best type of correct, as we all know. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, but what's the twist isn't just, you know, topic-wise that it's so shocking, but it literally happens in the middle of a thought. Yeah, it does. It's it's you get caught up. He does a very good job of having you get caught up in this series of events and actions and feelings and thoughts. And you almost forget what came before, which is really the mark of a good, really good writer. And I mean, Ambrose Pierce doesn't need me to tell him that he's off somewhere, you know, in Mexico, like knowing it. Um, <laughs> I am, um, you know, those people who think that, that Elvis is still alive. Mm-hmm. I'm that I'm that. But with Ambrose Pierce, I might even start my own like tabloid about it, about sightings. Um, Ooh, I'll read yeah. it. Thank you. If, if anybody has seen any uh, sightings of Ambrose Pierce, uh, please write to me at uh, Chris Garcia at <laughs> email.com. And that email is actually the comedian Chris Garcia. So way to go. Uh, we're going to get sued. <laughs> but yes, it is this this beautiful series of events that and Again, with that cinematicness, this would definitely be filmed in sort of a gauzy, pastel, slow motion, if you were being a little bit hacky about it, sort of setup. And it's beautiful, but you also have that dread because you know there's no way this is gonna end well. Even if you don't know Ambrose Bierce's work and the, the, the cynicism rooted within it, you know this is not going to end well. It didn't start well. How can it end well? Things don't generally get better than they are at the start of a story until maybe the very end. But when you start a story with somebody about to be executed, there's a decent chance that person's actually going to be dead by the end. Yeah, it's, it's Chekhov's corpse, really, is what, <laughs> really? It's, uh, what it oh. is. Man, poor Chekhov. Him and his- <laughs> yeah, exactly. He gets batted around a lot. People just yeah, forget really. he's there until the very end. <laughs> now, did his corpse become a corpse because of his gun? No, it did because of this cat someone left in a box. Long oh, story. <laughs> oh, yes. That was how that feud ended between Schrodinger yeah. and Chekhov. <laughs> yes. That's one of my all-time favorite jokes is if you put a gun in Chekhov's if you put a gun in Schrodinger's box, does it go off in the third act? <laughs> That's excellent. I love. <laughs> yes, I am. That I'm gonna cross stitch that. <laughs> uh, but this is a, a story that I love. The writing, the writing is beautifully done. I love the way you get caught up in it so much that mm. that ending gets you and i just love the fact that it feels like everyone in this story has sideburns uh i think really <laughs> that's that's what gets me the most is the sideburns sideburns verging on mutton chops oh i think there's mutton choppery rife <laughs> within this story <laughs> rife with the mutton choppery 
Yes. <laughs> Got anything else on this one there, Christy? Uh, no, I just, I think that Ambrose Pierce is going to be another one that we hit up uh, when we're feeling uh, the ability to be cynical, which is not uh, nearly as much these days as it used to be, let me tell you. <laughs> but happy to hit him up again, just so that somewhere down in Mexico, he can listen to us talk about his short stories and consider coming back and become a filmmaker or something. I totally think he's going to come back and be on WTF and explain what he was doing all these years. I think it's going to be great. Mark Mirren will do a really good job interviewing him. Just as long as he doesn't go on Joe Rogan, I'm okay. Well, this is twice correct. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, Christy. Yes. Let's say next week, I wanted to read the story, The Lady or the Tiger by Frank Stockton. What story should I read? You should read, uh, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> you stole my line. Next week we are reading The Lady or the Tiger, a fairy tale by Frank Stockton. I like stories. <laughs> that might be why you started this whole podcast, maybe. Which makes this phrase an origin story. (laughs) And on that note, we shall go forth and be short story. Short podcast.